I hit the tag and then we start rolling. And I like the way you put it earlier. You know, you can love Jesus and also go to therapy. <laughs> Yo, because folk need to hear that. Folk need to hear that. Hey, Code Keepers, on the uh, line today, we have back in the saddle. I should probably say back in the throne. QP's with us. I got my queen, Malira Green, with us. Hey, we're going to deal with mental health. We're going to deal with mental health. And I know you're saying, Seiko, what's this have to do with empowerment? What's this have to do with black empowerment? Stay tuned. All right. Welcome to Get On Code, the Fly Guy Show, which is a series of melanated conversations focused on empowerment, health, wealth, and knowledge of self. People think in binary choices because they are conditioned to. And on the wall was a picture of a wolf and a lion. I think the wolf was the Democratic Party, the lion was the Republicans. But the drug trade and all these illegal stuff that uh, people do, that's still economics. It's just that they couldn't do it in a traditional system. We're talking about melanated wealth. So we can build wealth, but we just, for some reason, don't seem to be able to transfer it. You had a great experience. Fine. That means nothing. What were you told as a child about education? You had to be how many times better? Every impression without an expression becomes depression. Yo, yo, that was just like the perfect intro. Every expression, yes. every impression without expression becomes depression. And yo, we're going to talk about depression, mental health, um, trauma. Yo, it's a whole lot to talk about. And yo, back on the foundation, we got Queen Phoenix. Good to have her back on the platform. Yo, it's time to flame up. <laughs> flame up with Queen Phoenix. And I'm telling you, there's so much trauma that we're dealing with. You know, code keepers, you know, we've talked about epigenetics and that's when trauma gets embedded in your DNA and it gets passed on to your, uh, your, your children and your children's children, and your children's children's children. And uh, our people, and when I say our, you know what I'm talking about, have had so much trauma in our sojourn here in the, you know, the United States and the Americas, truthfully all over the world, that we have some really pent up trauma in our dna but these two queens know how to help with that these two queens know how to fix that stuff and these two queens have also walked through some very traumatic experiences look you know without saying a whole lot i've seen people in their lives over the experiences that these two queens have masterly masterfully with the master, <laughs> maybe I'll put it that way, walk through. And I just want to say, Ashe, Ashe, Ashe to all the energy that's going to come today. Yo, QP, I know you've dealt with some stuff, but you give people hope. Yeah. Won't you talk? Won't you talk? I want hand it over to QP. Well, first thing I want to say is that mental health is your wealth. I know a lot of people look at mental health as a flaw, a downfall. People look at trauma as, oh, man, it's something I went through. And they think that that's what holds them back. But no, you have to embrace your trauma, your adversity, because your trauma and your adversity is who make is what makes you who you are today. And I have really learned to embrace my trauma that I've gone through. I tell anybody. I'm a survivor of domestic violence. 
I am a survivor of a mother who lost three children. I am a survivor of a woman who has been child molested. I just look at, I am even a survivor and a conqueror of a person who's been to prison and now I'm back home. I can say I have really seen it and gone on journeys on top of journeys on top of journeys. And I realized that each journey was there to help me and catapult me to be able to minister to the millions of people that God has appointed me to. And I realized that sometimes I always had questions about the trauma that I experienced, why I had to go through it. And I finally kind of sat down to myself and said, why not me? You know, if other people can go through it, what makes me feel like? And now I look at it that it is something special when you are chosen to go through adversity. So when I look at mental health, I know in our community, it's like we have to pick a side. And that side is either we get treatment and if we go and get treatment, then we look at it as being weak. And the other thing is that we have to take everything to God. But I look at it, guess what? We can have both. You can go get treatment and you can take things to God. Because I look at that this that mental health services and counselors and psychiatrists and therapists are there because God created them to be there. God gifted them to be able to sit down and actually take on and listen to people issues and situations and then be able to give them a different perception and a different way to look at it. So I am as a blessing and I tip my head off to every single counselor that's out there that has been able to sit down and help us as individuals who go through mental issues. Do you know the list is constantly growing in our community of successful people that became successful Why in the middle of dealing with mental illness. One of them is Michelle Obama. I don't know if y'all even know that, but the first lady of the United States deals with mental illness. If you also look at it, Serena, Serena Williams, she's another one. And you look at them and you don't see the wounds of the battle that they went through. I tell anybody, you don't see the scars of the battle that I went through. But to be a woman and a black woman in this, in this system, it's a fight. And fighting the legal system, it is no joke. It's not set up for us. It is no way you can get through that victoriously sometimes. Sometimes you just have to realize, hey, I got to go through to go through. And one thing I can truly say is that that particular journey I had to go through I look at it that God hand chose me because he knew I was mentally strong enough to get through it. So I'm just here to tell you that your mental health can turn into your wealth. So I want to reach out to my other queen that's here because, like I said, she has the license. She's put in the time and invested her time. And I want to get her feedback at this time in regards to mental health is your wealth. Absolutely. So one, I want to say thank you so much for your transparency. And number two, I love to say our reality has zero to do with what we see, but all to do with what we believe. And literally your life starts in your mind. 
mental health is not just attached to mental illness. If you have a brain, you have a mental health. And when we can begin to destigmatize what mental health really is, it's the same way of our physical health. We go to the doctor for annual checkups. You know, if we don't feel good, we're going to go to the doctor. It's the same way here mentally. Things can shift and change. And I want people to understand that trauma is bigger and deeper than just a military diagnosis. It's bigger and deeper than just someone being sexually assaulted or abused or child abuse and neglect or specific things. Trauma is anything that stays with you for the rest of your life. And if you don't deal with it, it's going to look and seem as if you're just dealing with depression and anxiety. But you, my friend, really is dealing with the post-traumatic stress of whatever it is that you have. And what I like to tell people at all times is it's definitely your wealth. Because at the end of the day, I don't care how successful you are. If your mental health is jacked up, baby, you're going to literally destroy everything that was given to you. Um, recently, I had spoken at a church because I was talking to people about my spiritual journey and how I'm back to Christianity and just how my journey included Hebrew Israelite, spirituality, African spirituality, all these great things. And I had someone say, Malara, do you realize that when you told God when you were a little girl that you surrender all to him and that you will sacrifice your entire being to him, that that even included some of the things that people may look down on you for? But she was like, it's not for you. It was for all the other ones that may find themselves at lukewarm and they don't understand how to do that. So I'm here tonight to tell you that I'm a whole therapist in the streets that need a therapist. Why? Because I've dealt with trauma. I deal with PTSD. Suicidal ideation was where I used to wake up. And that was my foundation. Like, I want people to understand it's not just about a certain look, a certain socioeconomic status, a certain parental household, a certain job, a certain marital status. Like, mental health is your wealth because it's a part of who you are and it's your foundation. We love to say scripture. And the one I always love us to say, we say we can do all things through Christ who strengthens us. But I challenge you to say, you can literally only go as far as you believe. If you don't believe that he can do it for you, if your belief in here is literally founded in depression, then how are you gonna see that you have purpose? How are you gonna see that you are enough? How are you gonna see that the life that you've been blessed with was actually meant to live? So as I give that to you, I just want to give you a visualization. I want y'all just to take a deep breath with me. Let it out. That breath that you just took was literally someone's last breath. So how dare we not know that in this moment, we have purpose. In this moment, we deserve to tell someone when we're sad. We deserve to tell someone when we're happy. We deserve to share when we're depressed without people judging us without the fear that someone's going to toss us out with the bathwater. One thing about me, I'm going to tell you when I'm struggling. And for the last couple months to two weeks ago, my, my actual therapist was watching over me because she was afraid I was going to take my life. I had a safety plan and everything. And I'm out here in these streets pouring out my heart to everybody. But I myself had to realize that I had to choose life. So my role is not just to come up here as this professional. Do I have the education? Absolutely but I also got the experience. And I'm here to tell you when you make that choice to really see that you are enough, to really see that you have purpose, honey, the world can't stop you then. Wow, I'm just kind of blown away. Code Keepers, this is what it's about. Code Keepers, this is what it's about. We wanna make sure that 
we all understand that help is available. Help is natural. Help is not weakness. Now, I mean, it actually takes a little more strength to accept help. No, I'm sorry. It takes a lot more strength to accept help. And when we talk about epigenetics, yo, we all need some help. We all need some help. But one of the things that I, I think is intriguing is finding out when to accept the help that is out there. So, you know, Queen Phoenix, when did you finally accept the help? You know, you talked about being in a, um, a domestically violent relationship. When, you know, what was that moment when you finally said, I need help? That moment came is when I was at my lowest of the low. And all I could do was look up and live. That's what I call it. Uh, I tried suicide three times. <laughs> And I'm still here. And the last time I remember literally being there and getting pushed back in my body and him telling me it's not your time. And I remember waking up feeling so low. I'm like, Dad, that even God didn't want me <laughs> at that time. That's just how low I felt. And the only thing that kept me together and sometimes family friends don't realize that they can either kill you or speak life into you and when i was going through my domestic violence situation i can honestly say that my brother and my older sister monica helped me the most they didn't realize it was just things that they said to remind me on how strong i was when i was little to remind me of the heart that I had. And I think the one last thing is when God was able to get through my abuser while we was in an argument. And I, it had to be God because usually every time we're in an argument, he's belittling me, putting me down. But this particular time we was driving in a car and he looked at me and he said, the day that you realize how beautiful you are inside will be the day that you leave me. And those words stuck with me. And when I started finally taking a look in the mirror to try to see what he was seeing at that time, that's when I found the inner strength to say enough was enough. The second thing is when my mom passed away. And when my mom passed away, that was some that was another trauma. You know, trauma again, like uh the other queen was saying earlier, trauma is anything that sticks with you and for me my mom was my biggest hero and when god took her that was also a wake-up call for me and she came and visit me about six months after she passed and asked me was i ready to go with her and i looked at her was like what i said you did and she was like the longer you stay in this relationship that's what's going to happen to you she says you're already dying slowly you're just prolonging it and that's when I found the strength inside to say, I need help. But the biggest thing first, I had to first accept the fact that I had a problem. When you are in denial and think everything is good. And my biggest mechanism that I had developed to cope with trauma and stress for situations was I became numb. 
I could mm. literally detach myself from my emotions and feel absolutely nothing and just be going through the motions. So it's like I'm there, but I'm not there. You could be looking in my eyes. I could listen to you talk, but mentally I'm gone. I have checked completely out and I'm just going through the motions. And I deceived myself by constantly telling myself, as long as he's happy, I'm happy. Hmm. Uh-uh. That's that's a delusion. You're you're tricking yourself. And then because of that, you make justifications or excuses head for their behavior. And then you take on saying that, oh, well, I can see where if I did this different, I did that different, then he would be different. Again, that's just a trick of the enemy. And one thing that I've learned, the most powerful thing that we have is our mind. When God created us, God created us in three parts, spirit, soul, and body. But he said it's one part that he gave us free will on. And that one part was our mind. It's the only thing we have free will to do what we need to do. And with that free will, that's why that's the only part of us that the enemy can attack. Anything else he can't touch without God's permission. <laughs> but when that's it comes to the mind, that's where he attacks the most with the images that he throws at us by letting us think that we're unworthy, that we're unloved because of the mistakes we made. And that's what constantly gets played over and over in our head to make us feel like that we deserve the things that we're going through when we don't. We deserve a whole lot better because one thing my mom said, you are always special. And you will always be special because God don't make no jump. And because God created us, guess what? You're the apple of his eye. Whoa. So you said the mind is one of them. And that's interesting because we're dealing with mental health. We're dealing with mental health. We're saying that mental health is wealth. So if the mind is the most valuable thing, that's your wealth. Now, that kind of reminds me, uh, you know, Elijah Muhammad, the prophet Elijah Muhammad taught us that when a child comes into the world, the first part of the child that develops normally is the head. And it's like the head comes first and you think the rest of your body into creation. And then a turn takes place and there's a showing of blood and the blood always symbolizes struggle, right? And turn, you mean you're like at the crossroads. Something new is about to happen. And then you have water movement. Water bringing life. You know, a different phase of life. Right? But the important thing I was just talking about is you think your body into creation. So when you say mental health is wealth, and we're talking about mental health, that was deep. Uh, one thing I just kind of wanted to tap into, and I'll shut up. <laughs> because <laughs> y'all are the business now y'all are the business you said that you were visited by your mother you said that six months after your mother transitioned and became an ancestor you were visited by your mother yes ashe 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 you know it's kind of interesting because those of us who are christian based a lot of us don't realize or believe rather they don't believe you can be visited by ancestors. Oh, yes, and, and it's crazy to me because even in the Bible, there's a portion where Yeshua and like three disciples were on this hill. I can't think of the term for it right now. 
And, and that uh, amount of Gethsemane when the uh, when Jesus Christ was at his weakest moment. No, and no, 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 no. This is a time when he was up. It wasn't Gethsemane. Or was it? Maybe. You know what? You know more about the Bible than I do. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to take your word for it. But Yeshua meets and is visited by Moses. And Elijah. And Elijah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, yeah. And there's a term for it. I can't think of what that term is. Um, and what's crazy is the other two disciples wake up and they're like, yo, you want us to feed them? So <laughs> the ancestors came back and they were like, oh, we got folk here. Let me go ahead and feed them. You want, you want me? Should I get something for them to drink? You know. But many of us are taught that an experience with the ancestor is of the devil. But it's in the Bible. That's the crazy thing about it. But you know what? Okay. Uh, I'm going to move myself from side to side and just kind of get out of here. Um, Yo, Queen Malira, what says you? You speak on that. Um, Funny part is, like I said, I've been on so many different journeys over the, the years. And it taught me that God is literally in everything. Um, and sometimes people don't understand that you can have different experiences, but then we put God in this box by how we can think about it in a human sense. So I had a, a great friend of mine, his name is Ed Smith, and he had me go back and read Genesis. Now I'm gonna put these glasses on because I can't see y'all, so don't judge me. But and and Genesis 1, I'm going to go through the first day and I'm going to go through the second day. I meant the first day and the fourth day. So when you're looking at the first day, it says, In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth, and the earth was without form and void, and darkness was upon the face of the deep. And the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters. And God said, Let there be light. And there was light. And God said, The light, that it was good. And God divided the light from the darkness. If you actually go to the original text, the light is actually capitalized, which represents a person, a being who was Jesus. So in this time, you have God, the father talking about the light, who is Jesus. And if you go to actually John, it talks about the one true light. Anyway, then you have the thing hovering over the darkness, which is the Holy Spirit. So when we're talking about these practices and these things, it's really talking about what is the light, the true light. But if I go down to day four, I remember I was asking if there's already light. Why in the world is God making more light? This don't make sense to me. It's already a day. It's already a night. But in this space, you're still making more. So if you drop down to verse 14, it says, And God said, Let there be lights in the fragment of the heaven to divide the day from the night and let them be for signs and for seasons and for days and years and let them be for light and the ferment of the heaven to give light upon the earth. And it was so. And God made two great lights, the greater light to rule the day and the lesser light to rule the night. He made the stars also. And God set them in the firmament of the heaven to give light upon the earth and to rule over the day and over the night and to divide the light from the darkness. And God saw that it was good. And the evening of the morning were the fourth day. And this space, that's when your astrology stuff started popping up because that's the moon and the sun. That's when the different things start popping up that we demonize as a people because we're said, okay, we're not supposed to do X, Y, and Z. But it's a space for that. It still says it's good. 
it might not be the ultimate light that's going to get you to God, but it's going to be that light that's going to show you that you are okay. So what I had to really start telling people honestly is that in order for us to truly heal our mental health, we can't Ooh. put God in a box. We Ooh, really bring it back. God in a box. Bring it back. Bring it, it back. Is. So if we it. want to deal with our mental health, there was a moment where I did do stuff ritualistic about my ancestors. I had my ancestor altar. I burned my ancestor money. I had different crystals. We have lost 27 people in less than two and a half years. I had to do something to figure it out. But that does not mean that I'm a bad person because I did something that other people didn't quite understand. However, because it was not the light, eventually that was temporary. But it showed me who the light was. So now I could put away my ancestor altar. I could go and say God is my everything because I don't need to do anything to get God's grace. When you're living in day four, you got to do rituals. When you're living in day four, you got to keep showing up. When I'm living in day four, I got to do something humanly to make this work. Day one, the true light says just come to him just as I am. But I can't come to you if I don't go through day four trying to figure it out by myself. So where we're sitting here and we're thinking that life is happening to us, it's actually happening for us, for the people that's coming behind us. So I get to speak to people who has dealt with sexual abuse and assault at age three years old. I get to speak to people who dealt with their sexuality from three to 13, didn't even know what it was. I get to speak to people who were sexually assaulted at 16 and almost took their life at 17. I get to speak to people because I lived and day four, but the beauty of it is God still said it was good. So we sit here and we put him in this box and we demonize people for things that we do not understand. But it's not even about that. It is about God saying, if I am God and I am God of everything, then that's what I mean. I'll give you an example. It was this deacon, right? That everybody know in the area. And All he right. recently <laughs> just made this post. And the post was, don't um he said don't judge your muslim brother because we both pray to the same god i understood what he was saying but they slandered this man up and down social media what do you mean we pray to the same god that's the god of the demonic spirit i don't pray to this god that's not the right thing and i said what he's trying to say is if his god isn't everything sometimes we don't need to look at the labels sometimes we don't need to look at the name if he's in everything I need to show up because a lot of mental health comes from the fact that honestly, excuse my French and God know I cuss because I cuss at him in prayer. We fuck it up because in our minds, we feel like it got to look a certain way. And God is telling us, I'm a God of all of it. So if I'm a God of all of it, then you got to give that person the opportunity to see me living out through you, not through your words. Not through the you're going to hell, not through talking about generational curses, not through all these things. But you have to be the one to show people the one true light. So when they're in day four and it is still good, they can go to day one and know that there is greater out there where they don't even have to move a morsel. Besides, just believe. You know, this takes me back to the question I was about to ask you. (laughs) When did you know? When did you know that you had to get help? Um, I knew that I had to get help. It's It's been a long time coming, honestly. 
Uh, my first time dealing with the suicidal ideation, I was 13 years old and I was in the gym locker room. And I remember I could not bring myself to take off my clothes to put my gym clothes on. And all my girlfriends surrounded me and they was like, Malara, what is going on? And I said, I just don't want to be here. And I remember they went and got my gym teacher. She came in there, started asking questions. And that's kind of where it started a little bit. Where it really became serious was my senior year of high school. I was only 16 and I had just got sexually assaulted right before the school semester started. And once that happened, I literally had to go check in to my doctor. Back then, therapy was not a thing um, at all. Like, I didn't even know that was a resource. Uh, the doctors handled it. We took what was called a PHQ-9, which is a patient health questionnaire. And eventually, I knew how to answer that bad boy. Why would I tell you I want to kill myself if I know I got to see you next week? So I used to just lie on it. Um, but when I turned 17, it was my freshman year at Norfolk State. And I could not deal with it anymore. And I remember three seconds before I took whatever solution I concocted from the stuff underneath my bathroom sink, my dad knocked down the door. And for the first time in my life, I saw a person. For the very first time in my life, when all that solution was on the floor and I'm sitting in the mirror, tears streaming down my face, I said, yo, I cannot do this. And there's a reason why God didn't let this happen. And that Monday, after that happened, I went and I started going to therapy at Norfolk State. And since then, I've always kept a therapist. Um, and then I also realized if I wanted to help people in the capacity that I wanted to as a licensed clinical social worker, I have to be my first client first. So there is never a time that I'm not going to be checking in because I do have traumas. I do have generational patterns that I had to break so that my children don't have to go through the same thing. And that weight can be very tiring, especially when you are the anchor to so many other people. Um, so for me, it was understanding that regardless of how life was making me feel, there was still life in my body for a reason. And if it was meant for me to die, then God wouldn't have sent my dad. If it was meant for me to die, all the experiences that I had could have took me out. So for me, it was more of the, I know it's something better out there. And do I have moments where they're darker than more sunshine? Absolutely. I just told you I was in one of them. Um, but now I'm realizing that it's all choices. Like we get to choose the type of life that we want to live. And I remember thinking how insensitive that sounded to someone who was really in a low moment. But being someone who experienced that low moment that recently, two weeks ago, was like, all right, God, I got to choose happiness because this right here is not cutting it. I got to figure it out. Hmm. When you begin to hate how something makes you feel, change is birth. You cannot birth change until you hate how that thing makes you feel. I tell people all the time, sometimes those low emotions telling our story is great. But if it comes to a point where it serves you, where people say, oh, my God, baby girl, you okay? Or when you can excuse yourself so you like, no, I'm having a bad day. I don't feel like dealing with you. Like when it becomes a crutch, you got to understand that you got to begin to hate how that thing makes you feel for mm. you to begin to change. And I began to hate how I did not want to live. I began to hate not liking what I saw in the mirror. I began to hate pouring into so many other people and I still felt dead on the inside. I like to use the analogy that we live a life sometimes like a paper cut a paper cup and a rose bush. In the example, it is life is like a rose bush. 
for some people it looks beautiful but if you know anything about a rose bush when i get close to it there's a lot of thorns but if i'm mm. sitting here and i'm a paper cup what happens is i'm going through all of these thorns and they're pricking me but it doesn't change my purpose my purpose is now just seeping out and everybody else is benefiting from it but because i'm a paper cup i'm trying to figure out why do i feel this way baby girl you got to become a glass vase the only way to get something out of a glass vase is if I actually pour it over and I get to decide that. So that is really what changed for me. I realized I could not stop life from happening, but I had to change the vase, the temple, the thing that I am. I had to change that and realize that a part of me changing that was to say, all right, God, I can't do this on my own because you created me. And obviously I don't understand this creation that you gave because I'm such at the point that I don't love me. I'm such at the point, I don't like what I look like. I'm trying to do all these things so people can love me. You got to change this. And literally, that is what has helped me kind of just get on track and be able to not just be a person that helps people, but hell, help my own self. Yep. And that's when you know you're getting swallowed up by fear. And mm. that's what that book, Six Ways to Conquer Your Fear, is all about. But it takes me back to 1 John 4, 18, when it says that there is no fear in love. And that's the first attack that we get attacked that we get attacked at is when we start not loving ourselves. Because once you stop loving yourself, that's when you have let fear consume you. Because when fear enters in, no matter what it is, whether it's fear of death, whether it's fear of moving forward, fear of going outside of your house sometimes, because when you have been sexually assaulted, you get to the point that inside your head you're paralyzed you you don't know who to trust so even i remember times because i was a victim of because i'm a survivor now of sexual abuse every time i walk down the street even if i walk to the store and a man got too close to me i would literally freeze because it's like okay what's gonna happen next you're constantly on guard but it says there's no fear in love but perfect love drives out fear because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. So, and you have to realize that God is love. So when you get rid of love, you just released him. And he's at, and he's constantly telling us, come back to your first, because hmm. he said, I love you in the midst of your mess. And that's what constantly keeps me going. When I started getting my strength back, when I really got to the point where I started tapping inside of me, because we have so many voices on the outside. We got so many things coming at us and the expectations of who we should be and how we should act and how we should talk that it gets so, so overwhelming. But God says, mm. I created you with every bit of the strength inside. And what we need to learn how to do is not look at God as an outside element. He's not outside of us. If you look at scripture, it says, I have now come. He says, once you accept Jesus Christ as your personal savior, he says, now I have come and I have set up residence on the inside of you. So guess what? Everywhere I go, he's inside of me. And this is where you can grow in mental health when you turn around and start asking yourself certain questions. Can you really see yourself? Can you hear yourself? And you're crying out, your inner voice is crying out. Are you really listening to it? When I started listening to my inner voice is when I grew strength. And that's where the symbol of the Phoenix come from. 
because it took me back to Acts in the day of Pentecostal. When, when they was in the upper room and the Holy Spirit came down upon them, he said it was like flames of fire that set upon their shoulders and they started speaking in other tongues. And so when I look at the Holy Spirit, I look at the Holy Spirit as that flame of fire. And when okay. you tap into the Holy Spirit inside of you and you ignite that, then that's when you get an opportunity to flame up. And when you flame up, now what you do is start healing those wounded souls. That's why the scripture says that you need that all things you prosper and be in health, even as your soul prosper. But how can your body prosper? How can you mentally prosper when you have a wounded soul? So you have to tap into the Holy Spirit to flame up, to heal those wounds of your soul. And then with your body being the bird. And when you flame up, then you can now rise up and blaze a pathway for others to follow. So that's what the Phoenix is. It symbolizes rebirth. And I'm here to tell you guys, it's time to flame up so you can be reborn. Because once you're reborn, you can now really live life the way life is really supposed to be lived. And that's when mental illness start coming in. I tell people all the time, you can notice people that have a mental sickness. And people's like, well, what do you mean? I said mental sickness is known by three f's it's known for either fight so when you see a person that every time they turn around they're dealing with a situation they're ready to fight or they want to come out with violence you're mentally ill the other one is they're going to take flight which means they're going to avoid conflict as much as possible and the third one is you freeze or like i like to call it go numb where you're not even there anymore. And those are the three things that people uses to cope with trauma and a lot of stress. Those are the three things that they use. And when that overtakes them, that's how you know they're mentally ill. But how do you heal that? I always tell people the first thing you have to do is accept the fact that you're ill. Stop being in denial. Stop saying, this is me. Just accept me for who I am. Reach out for help. But the first thing is to realize that there is a problem. I had to realize that there was a problem. It was not normal for me to be okay with my husband cheating. And I'm still t telling myself, oh, he's just uh, freaking them, but he's making love to me. What type of, I was sick mentally. But didn't know it because I was living in a delusion. So that's one of the things we have to confront. We have to realize that, hey, when I'm sick, I need to go get some medicine. Some people like to avoid that, but you can't avoid it. And this is where I feel like counseling and church go hand in hand. Because in order for you to start healing, you first have to realize that you're worthy of being loved. And the only person who can show you that and teach you that is the story of Jesus Christ, where he decided as the good shepherd to die when we was in the midst of our sins. He chose to be that sacrifice for us so we can have an opportunity back to the father. Now, let me ask the question. How many All of y'all right. are willing to do that? How many of y'all will be willing to sacrifice your life? Just so other people can have a right. Well, I have a question. And my question is, for those of us who were involved in traditional beliefs, 
or maybe atheists, we're still dealing with trauma too. I know uh, Queen Phoenix, you have a book and I was just highlighting your book, uh, Six Ways to Conquer Your Fear. And and I'm asking a question, but I kind of know the answer. (laughs) (laughs) I can't, because I read the book. I kind of know the answer. Code Keepers, you might want to check out the book. Um, What do you tell our family who don't believe what you believe religiously? Well, what I tell them that there is still tools out there that you can use. The first tool is being able to call out your fear. I always tell people you have to identify your emotion. I I couldn't, I didn't like it. Even when my kids used to do it and come to me and say, I feel some type of way. Uh Uh-uh. Identify how you feel. Because one thing that my other queen just said, light is what dissipates darkness. Nothing can continue as long as you uncover it. You have to shine a light on anything in order to stop it. If you don't shine a light, do you know everything constantly operate in darkness? Think about it. A person who abused you, as long as you don't expose them, they can continue to operate and continue to abuse you until you expose them. That's when the abuse stops. So I always tell people, call out your fear identify what it is what is it that you're afraid of this don't say oh i'm scared scared of what why identify that call it out and then after you call it out then stand and confront it and then after you confront it then instead of looking at it in a negative way switch that negativity to something positive once you're able to now start thinking more positive then meditate on that word that you're thinking of Everything doesn't have to be negative. Shift that to a positive and then meditate on that positive. Positive things about yourself. How do you start reviewing yourself? And even if you're not there yet, having positive affirmations that you tell yourself every day and then meditate on it. Take that time out. Still your mind. Still the outside noise around you and meditate on them affirmations and eventually because your mind don't know what's real or false but whatever you feed your mind is what's gonna then come out of you and then once you do that meditation the next step is you got to forgive yourself everybody is so quick to say i can forgive everybody else but my question is what about you how can you forgive somebody else when you haven't even forgiven you yet and i tell anybody you can't love nobody if you don't first love yourself You can't forgive nobody until you first forgive yourself. Why? Because if you see something similar to the situation that you have not forgiven yourself for, guess what? Those exact same emotions are going to come back up and now you're going to react to a situation that's really totally different than what you've been through, but because the exact same emotions are still there. So when I say forgive yourself, It just means forgive and release the emotion to the event. You're not going to forget it because I haven't forgotten about my child molestation. I haven't forgotten about my abusive relationship. I haven't forgotten. But guess what? I have released the emotions that was connected to it. So now I'm no longer a victim and I have now surpassed the survival mode to now I am thriving, which means that now I'm able to share my situations with others as a testimony to show them how to go through it. 
So this, those journeys that we go through is what create our wealth because those are stories that now we are supposed to use to help others. I always tell people now, everything that you've gone through in life, any adversity, difficulties, trauma, whatever, God created that for it to be your ministry. If you look at, go back and look at Joseph, even, and I tell people, look at the stories, even if you don't believe what I believe in, even if you're not a Christian or you're an atheist, you can still learn from the stories of the Bible. So I look at Joseph and how he had a dream. And in his dream, he saw himself in the palace where his family was bowing down to him. But guess what God didn't show him in the dream? God didn't show him the middle. And that middle was your, your brothers was going to get jealous of you. They was going to throw you into a pit, sell you into slavery. Then the slave master's wife was going to accuse you of rape. And then you was going to get thrown into prison for 12 years before you go. And then before he could even leave the prison, he had to extend his time two more years to give the opportunity for the king to have a dream in order for Joseph to go from the prison to the palace. So I tell that the reason why God show us the end and not the middle, because he wants us to hold on to our faith in the middle of the storm. So this is why you have to embrace your journey. Okay. Okay. Now, Malira, your set of tools might be different. Might be. Are they? And are there different tools? I would say my tools are a little different because, again, I believe that God's in everything. And I also believe that God is a man of little words. Um, one thing that I will say that pulled me from my original relationship with him was the you're going to hell message um was the you know everything was biblical and stories and things like that so then people didn't feel comfortable or confident um to actually share their experiences if they had a different belief system now do i believe that there's a place for that absolutely i'm on the apologetics team for my church i'm you know i do believe that there's a, a place for god in those conversations but one thing that I will say that my journey has showed me is it's not that people don't want to believe in a certain entity. They're just looking for love. And the lack of love can take you any other space. So what I do is I just try to show up as a loving being um, and love people unconditionally. So if it is someone who is not a believer, I have found myself being able to communicate with them in a certain way so that they can still understand that they was made for a reason. I like to use the fact that I feel like we're all like cell phones. You know, I can't take an Android charger to charge my iPhone and I can't take my iPhone charger to charge an Android uh, at all. So I have to know what type of phone I am to know what type of charger cords that I need. So for those individuals that are struggling with their mental health, it all got to do with who the heck you got around you, boo. Um, but there's another piece to that. It's the outlet that's actually in the wall. And what I say that outlet in the wall is whatever your spiritual entity is, because I do believe God is in everything, every religion, every space. But that's just my personal belief. Um, and because of that, if I know that he is my outlet, I also know if I don't pay my dominion power bill, that joint going to get cut off. So there is something that I tell people to hold on to on the inner of them 
whether that is God, whether that is Allah, it could be Buddha, it could be nothing. Maybe it's just your sperm donor and your mama. I don't know. But whoever is that creative being, make sure that you're attached in some way to that power source. So then the people that are around you, they can plug back into your power source. So when you get to 20%, they can help you get to 100. So a lot of the times when I do work with individuals who not necessarily a believer, I've had people, I'll give you this quick example. So as I told you guys already, I have been on one of the most interesting spiritual journeys ever. But to this day, I realize why God had me in that space, honestly. And in April, I actually went to what people was calling it a witch conference. What does that mean? We had black goddesses that believed in astrology, tarot card readings, Reiki healing. Um, we had the best affirmation artists out there, two of them, Tony Jones and Geminelle. It was a whole vibe, but so many people frowned upon it because the language of the advertisement was witchcraft, witches, black spiritualists, things like that. When I originally took the gig, I was still sort of kind of lukewarm in the fact that I was putting my little toe, my pinky toe um, in astrology and things like that. So I didn't have an issue. But by the time the conference came, I was slowly transitioning, fully being in this big relationship with God. But what I ended up doing, I still went. Why am I sharing this story? So we're sitting here, we're having a panel. And in this panel, God is my everything. So that means he's in my words. Um, that means he's in how I show up. So I'm sitting here, I'm answering the questions on the panel, and I'm talking about how what God has done in my life. And I am so unashamed. Mind you, this is not a Christian conference whatsoever, but I just showed up. There were so many women, at least 50 of them, and I'm not exaggerating, came up to me afterwards. They said, well, what church do you go to? And at the time, I had not joined a church. So I was like, right now, it, it wasn't a church. Um, they was like, well, if you were my pastor, I would come. These are people who signed up for a conference because they were witches. These are people that signed up for a conference because they looked to astrology readings and the sun and the moon. We had a whole moon ceremony. Like it was people in a space that someone supposedly of myself should not be in because it does not talk about my religion. But it was so many people that shared. If I knew God the way that you display him, I didn't have to tell them scripture. All I did was show them love and tell them how much that they're enough to tell them how much that they were created intentionally before they were formed in their mother's womb. I know it's scripture, but I didn't have to say it in that way. And so many women, even to this day, it's like, all right, Malama, I'm going to come to your church when I come down. And these are women that should not believe, that should not be. So I share that story to say, we cannot continue to be so stuck on people labels or what they say that they do. It's all in how we show up. And if you are showing up and your mental health is not at the best place, it's just you sharing that I need help. And if you can find a great therapist, for me, I'm going to show up how you tell me. I'm, that's how I do it. So I have some of my clients that want the Christian Malira. So I will pull out my Bible and we have a whole Bible study, worshiping, hallelujah, there we go. But then I have some people that speak the language of crystals, that speak the language of meditation, that speak the language of yoga. And I am not 
uh, I'm not ashamed to incorporate that in their sessions because my belief is if I continue to be the example of unconditional love, not to convert them to God, not to convert them to Christ, it's beyond discipleship. I want to show them that they're the creator out there, regardless of the name you choose, that is telling you that you are worth more than that tough moment. That's telling you that you are worth more than that depression, that you are worth more than that anxiety. And I feel like if we as a whole that deals with mental health can stay neutral in that space, and it does not mean, and I know some people may listen to this and be like, so she don't want to convert people. I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is it's your life. There are some amazing Christians that are horrible people. You can know a the whole text. lot of them. You can know the scripture, <laughs> but when you show up, it does not show anything. But then you have me that in any given moment, I can have my little Indian bubble thing right here. I can be doing yoga one day. I still do healing energy. Like I am realizing that when I show up authentically, it allows for anybody in my space to be able to show up unapologetically. And then we can have a conversation of healing and the tools. And the number one tool, and I think the queen already said it, is acknowledging that you deserve that change. Acknowledging that you deserve to be outside of that fear. Acknowledging that you deserve that wealth. Even our cash flow, we focus so much on cash flow and financial literacy. Baby girl, you ain't going to see that you're financial literate if your mental health is messed up. You can have a million dollars and they still committing suicide because it's still not enough. Like you got to understand those pieces. So I think it really goes back to your circle. Who do you have around you that's going to serve as your charger cord? Because one thing about mental health, no one talks about as a therapist. I make sure that the people that I work with got a support person. And even mm. if that support person is me and I tell people if, if the board of social work want to take my license, baby girl, go ahead. Because God gave it to me anyway. So you can take it. I don't care because at the end of the day, I'm going to show up. So when I'm working as a therapist, if you need me, please contact me. I got boundaries. Absolutely. But at the same time, when you are going through your stuff and you don't have a support person, my role is to plug you into that. Secondly, basic needs. If people's basic needs are not met, I cannot even deal with their mental health. Hmm. So if you are someone who don't have food, shelter, water, sex is a part of that too. It's called Maslow Hierarchy of Needs. If you don't know about it, research it. If you're not having that lower basic thing met, that mental health can go out the door because you can't even think about mental health until their safety and belonging there. So wait, 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 wait. Yes. Wait. So if I ain't getting some, <laughs> you heard me. I might not be mentally right. <laughs> people don't think. No, about I, I'm, I'm laughing, but I'm glad to hear somebody say that. Yes, Yo, yes. I say that. I say, I say <laughs> that. <laughs> Amen that. However you want to put it. Power fist that. You know. <laughs> it's funny hey, because they, people you know really the, the elders taught it. us that heaven was between a woman's legs anyway. So um I stay there. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Right, yo, I'm a whole mess. Yeah, I know that. Yeah, <laughs> code keepers. Um mental health is wealth. Yes. So when we talk about wealth. Very often you hear the conversation about generational wealth. If mental health is wealth, what does generational mental health as wealth 
look like? Who wants to go, you know, Queen, Queen Phoenix. If mental health is wealth and we want to have generational wealth, what's that, what does that look like? For me, I say it looks like addressing the general mental illness. Because if you look at it, if you have a mental illness and you go back in history, you will find out that a lot of mental illnesses stem from generations. And I noticed that even when I went in to be evaluated, when I was getting my uh, counselor, that's one of the first things she asked me, is there mental health illness in your family? Because they're starting to realize that it is a generational pass down. And how that is passed down is that kids don't learn by what you tell them. They learn by observation. So how you handle trauma, how you handle situations, you feel like that your kids don't feel it. I even look at it that a lot of mental health starts off in the development of the womb because as a woman, whatever we're feeling at the time that we're pregnant is what's transferred to that child. Have you noticed sometimes that if a mother is constantly sad or down when she's pregnant, that when that baby is born, it's kind of sad, withdrawn and to itself. So I look at it that we need to be aware of these things and get the treatment as early as you can. And when you identify that in your children, just don't look at it just for you. But even when you start going, like even myself, I still have a therapist that I go and I see every other Monday, you know, and I enjoy talking to her because it's like someone that I can really confide in to talk my feelings out to. And then I can get a different perspective on how I see things. But I didn't just leave it there with me. But I also do family or group sessions where I take my kids. I am very transparent with my kids and the mental health uh, illness that was there and why I needed the treatment. And yes, I talk about, you know, Christ and giving them the foundation, but I also be that example for them that they work both hand in hand. Because if you're not mentally straight here, again, I don't care how much money you, you make, you can eventually lose it. I have met multi-multi-millionaires that because they wasn't, they still had that mental illness and was not mentally healthy, they ended up losing it all. And if you want to create generational wealth and you don't want your kids to lose the money, then we need to start with making sure that they're mentally healthy. Because now if they're mentally healthy, then they can make better decisions. But it all, again, starts with you and being able to be transparent with your children about the situation. Because the more we try to hide stuff, the more we try to sweep things under the rug, it's never going to go away. It's just going to continue to grow and it gets passed down from generation to generation to generation. And you think money is going to fix it. Money does not fix that. Only thing you're going to do is have money and then have bigger problems with money. As they say, money will actually bring out the person's true character. If you had, if you were a jerk before money, 
you're going to be a bigger jerk with money <laughs> until <laughs> you get that mental health straight. So once you become mentally healthy, that allows you now to be a better character. So now when you come into the money, then as being a better character, you would now know how to handle the money. But we need mm. to make sure that we're passing down mental healthy tools to generation just money. Okay. I say that. And that's coming from a whole financial advisor. Nike and her money stuff. Nike and know her money. So uh, let's go back to Malira. So if mental health is wealth, what does generational mental health wealth look like? So generational mental health wealth looks like what I would call psychoeducation. That's just a fancy word to say that we just need to start talking about if you have a brain, you have a mental health. Like that is so important and imperative, um, especially in the black community. We have this what happens in this house stays in this house mentality. And it all honestly stems from slavery. Like at the end of the day, let's be real. We wasn't taught how to be families. We were taught how to be servants. Um, so we saw our family dismantled. We saw, you know, our men raped in front of the wives so that they know what property is. We saw the wives being raped because the master's wife is pregnant, but now I'm going to impregnate you so that you can feed my baby. Like we saw these things. So then once that started to go away and we were able to have our own spaces and our own families, you bet not tell nobody granddad touched you. You bet not tell nobody that auntie is doing things behind closed doors. You bet not tell someone is whipping your ass because we can now be a family. And once they begin to understand that, then you have what was called the new deal that was created and what the new deal said. And this is why sometimes it's hard to be a social worker because we had a really horrible hand inside of this law. What it said was anyone who was in a housing development could have no man in the house at all. No trace of him, no cologne smell, no extra toothbrush, no man's brush or none of that. And social workers was known as night workers. We came between midnight and six o'clock. If I popped up over your house and there was any man in this house, not only were you going to kicked out, but now you, your kids and that man is now homeless. So what was ended up happening is I'm having all this trauma. I can't go nowhere to no one because the resource that they gave to help my family is going to essentially tear my family apart. And we never had an opportunity to be a family back in the day. So I'd rather just deal with my shit. So with now what happens is you have all these people that have the same diagnosis. Every woman in my family was sexually abused and assaulted. Every last woman in my family before me had anxiety and depression. And when it came to me, I said, uh-uh, not my little baby girl. She's not. So I began to speak. I think what ends up happening is if we actually give a story to our pain and don't care about who gets hurt. Like people ask me all the time, Alara, how are you so vocal? Do your family still talk to you? Absolutely, because I'm not telling nobody names. I am not trying to heal because I want them to heal. This is my own space. So one thing about generational wealth when it comes to mental health is you have to be in control of your own story. It's not about controlling anybody else. If they're not ready to heal, baby girl, then don't worry about it. That's on them. But you and every other person after you, you say from me and on, no more. Mm -hmm. I am the last one. So I don't got to worry about my children. I don't have to do that because I know that I took it on. I know that I said, oh, I'm going to be vocal. Oh, I'm going to write these books. 
I'm going to go to these seminars. I'm going to become this therapist. I'm going to talk about my pain. And I'm going to let people know that even if you had this pain, it's okay. So that's how I think we can create more generational wealth when it comes to mental health is when we acknowledge where the generational wealth was taken away from us. Because that's the point. It was taken away from us. So if something's taken yep. away, I mean, I got to fight for it. I don't know about y'all, but I like the transporter uh, movies and stuff like that, where they got to go find their kid that got kidnapped. Well, let's go find our mental health that got kidnapped, y'all. Because there's a lot of things that we deal with because we never had the opportunity to just be people and human beings. We were objects. We were subjects. But now you are a person. And it's time for us to take control of that health. So I know we're almost at the end, but I want to do something really quickly for you guys real quick. So in my second book called Free Thyself, I have a survivor's letter um, because there's so many people that might listen to this and read this. And they're like, but Malara, what about that person that don't apologize to me? Like, how do I move forward? Like, I need that. I can't get over this pain. Well, tonight after here, you cannot make that excuse anymore. So dear survivor, you are more than enough. Your life's experiences do not define who you are, but cultivated the very essence of you. If you have never received an apology from the person who victimized you, abused you, neglected you, left you, I take the time out to send a heartfelt apology on their behalf because you deserve to be free from the entrapment of their egregious actions. I apologize for the years of pain you have endured as a result of that stolen moment of innocence you will never get back. I apologize for all of the decisions and actions you made that were more detrimental to your well-being or that of others as a result of trying to find normalcy again. I apologize to you for the years you have spent in bondage trying to figure out what you did to attract such experiences. I apologize to you for the years of self-love you missed out on because the message you kept hearing was you did not deserve love. Please know that you were only a victim in that moment. But as I read this to you, my friend, you are a survivor. Just like survivors of major illnesses get celebrated when they go into remission. I celebrate you today because you are no longer a victim. You are the best you there is, and you are free, walking your freedom. Mental health wealth starts with freedom, y'all. And hopefully today, after this conversation, after tonight, you feel free enough to build that generational wealth because it all starts with the mind. Dope. Dope, 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 dope. Uh, yo, so we're coming to a close, Code Keepers. Uh, we had Queen Phoenix back. I say that. We had Malira on with the first time with us. Uh, yo, you got to check out her Facebook page. It's hot. Uh, it's lit. Uh, it's dope. Uh, it's healing. So check it out. Um, two things I want to hit real quick. One of the things that she talked about is that the men as well as the women were raped during enslavement the men and the women so and there's a term buck broken and normally we talk about that term in terms of uh breaking a horse so you can ride a horse oh that's interesting that's really demonic Oh, that's crazy. I never thought of it that way. All right. But so that term is buck broken. So I wanted to give a little historical context, particularly for those code keepers who are a little lost with that. And also, um, this is the goddess Newt. And so in the comedic cosmology, to get from the mortal life into the heavens, you go through this space right here. So 
when I was talking about how the elders used to say that, you know, the gate to heaven, that's what I'm talking about. And I wasn't making a cruel joke. I know. <laughs> I can say some crazy stuff sometimes. <laughs> but Code Keepers, we're here for the empowerment. We're here for the empowerment. So I'm going to read this quick message. Emmanuel, good, good, good on you, good brother. Good on you, good brother. Pass this video on. Share the link. It will live here because we want us to live here. It will live here because we want us to live here. Hopefully that makes sense. Yes. Hopefully. All right. So our lesson, our message, our mantra is empowerment. And we say get on code, share the code. Teach the code. Become the code. Our code is empowerment. Be ye empowered. Yo, Malira, Queen Phoenix, thanks for having y'all on. Any last words before we end? Just want to say, as Malaya said, freedom is your wealth. You got to become free. And it first starts with freedom of the mind. And I just want you to know that you are enough. I don't care what you have been through. I don't care what your religious platform is, what your socioeconomic status is. All I care about is at the end of the day that every time you take a breath, you know that you deserve that breath. And if you don't feel like you deserve that breath, text and call 757-609-0694 and I promise you it come straight to me and I will be the one to help you walk through it. And I don't just say that. I mean that from the bottom of my heart because if I can get one person to not commit suicide on this side of life, then I have done God's purpose. So just know you're enough. All right. Be ye empowered.